Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win! They win! Now that's a steal by Murray, underneath the DJ, right there! Going up over Bell, Paul away! guys welcome to another episode of dime machine flashbacks where we continue on our historic journey studying every single year of the nba in chronological order and right now if you watch the last one and i really want to suggest for you guys to watch the last videos leading up to this to know exactly where i'm at my last video was on the milwaukee bucks winning their championship and how it relates to the 2015 warriors championship and why Kareem's first two years in the NBA were better than anyone else's first two years. Now, the video before that, you might recognize the guy to my right. Yes. I hope so. Yeah. And favorite, favorite perspective. Live and direct favorite perspective. That's what you want to hear, Dom. That's I've been right. saying that ever since. Not live and direct, though. This video is not live, but we'll still say that anyway. But the last time you saw this guy on my videos, besides the four sportsmen, our weekly show, was when we were talking about the Knicks and the Bullets and their biggest rivalry, the most underrated rivalry in NBA history. We are going to be continuing where we left off there. And if you remember watching that video in part two with Jason and Dr. Hoff and the two of us, at the end of the video, we talked about Earl Monroe's trade. And they offered some insight, but let's remind everybody what that was like. Now, going into these, this new season, the Knicks just lost to the Bullets in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The first time they lost the Bullets. They played them three years in a row in the playoffs, but finally the Bullets got over the hump. Earl Monroe got to his first finals, but he wasn't 100%. Gus Johnson missed half the series, and they got swept by a Bucks team that everything kind of lined up for that year. Now they're back, and before the season, I made my preseason predictions, which I always do, because I don't actually know where every team places obviously know like the general big things but i try to keep myself as in the dark as possible so like if fabian knows i decline describe to the people man i decline seeing anything in the future i try to forget what you say and oh man so many people try to tell me things or they say things on the twitter timeline and i just scroll past i'm like i'm not trying to look i've been doing that for three yeah, years nah, it's to the point where everyone knows uh dom i can't wait for you to get to this 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 time period i don't even ask anymore i think i begged you one time Cause, oh, well, you're doing the flashback ones. And I'm like, well, that's where I snuck in and took advantage of you being able to do another video besides one from the, from the, from the, that much, that far back. So yeah, I'm sick of asking you like, <laughs> you know, go watch them. Uh, Magic Johnson. Everything. All right. Yeah. So let's pick up where the Knicks leave off and they make a huge move in May and that is to trade Kazi Russell, who was their number one overall pick in 1966. He was a forward who can put the ball on the floor, came out of Michigan, could shoot the ball, could rebound. A, a guy that would, and an athletic player, a guy that if you look at him today, he would be one of those guys that people like adore and think is super, super exciting. But 
Bill Bradley was a better fit in the starting lineup for the Knicks. So Cassie Russell was demoted to a bench role. And in 1971, even though he had already helped them win the championship in 1970, his role started to diminish. The Knicks went, uh, you know, cut their rotation shorter and he didn't get that many minutes in the playoffs. So he really was trying to get a bigger role. And the Knicks trading Cassie Russell, but getting a player who's made the all-star team seven out of eight years in the league and is coming off a season where he's averaging, if you, you can give me a fact check on this, Fabian, I think 18 points and 16 rebounds in Jerry Lucas. And they did this because Willis Reed really wasn't 100% at the end of that bullet series. He had a shoulder injury. He's had bad knees. He's obviously been banged up so much over the years. Could he be declining? And if he is, the Knicks wanted to have some added insurance with Jerry Lucas to get them back to the top of the mountain. But to get a player of Jerry Lucas's caliber, the best rebounding forward in the league, I mean, I couldn't believe this. I know for you, you're a Knicks fan and you didn't weren't alive at this time yet, but what do you think just hearing that? I think, like, it, it sounds like it gives us hope uh, <laughs> for what we should be what we should be as a team. You see, like, the Golden State Warriors try that every season in this era. Um, whatever team LeBron is on, he tries that for, right? The Miami Heat seem to do that when they have good teams. The Spurs do that. Uh, the Celtics. What? Just a great team. Get a new star when they fall short, even after they've been to the top, you're saying? Get a new star, but this is this is the quintessential super team of the Knicks in the early 70s, and, and they've never been referred to this because – everyone overlooks the fact that when you're creating a team, it's all about the complementary pieces. So that's what makes this so crazy. You get Jerry Lucas in there, but the thing that they refer to is the team play. Uh, it starts with Willis Reed, of course. He's the enforcer on the team, and he's they're enforcing that. Like I think that's the major thing that we all miss out on when we talk about the super team thing. Um, but that's that's what I'm excited about. Like They actually traded for good players in, in, <laughs> in their history. Yeah. yeah, remember Red Holzman is the GM and the coach right now. And my biggest, you know, thought when I when I first heard this Jerry Lucas news was, okay, is Jerry Lucas about to come off the bench? Like a player that just, and by the way, I have the stats up right now. He averaged 19 points and 16 rebounds and four assists in the 1971 season, played 80 games and shot 50% from the field. So he's one of the best, you know, forwards in basketball at this point. And I still think DeBusher is a little bit better because of his defense. You know, Jerry Lucas is a stretch big. He can really shoot. And he's a great rebounder. But DeBusher has got that toughness. He is the he was that missing piece that the Knicks needed to win that championship in 1970. So Jerry Lucas does start by coming off the bench. Now, this is where Earl Monroe comes into the situation. On October 22nd, 1971, Earl refuses to play in a game and says he no longer wishes to play in Baltimore. Now, mind you, this is a coming from a guy who just led his team to the finals. And Wes Unseld and him are young. They've got other young players in the team like Mad Dog Fred Carter. They have a shot to go back to the finals. And on October 27th, 1971, the Winston-Salem Journal said that Earl Monroe wants to play in a larger city and that money is not a major consideration, according to his agent, Mr. Fleischer. And he says that there isn't major interest in basketball in Baltimore. It's more about the Baltimore Colts and the Orioles. And Pearl wants to go to Chicago, L.A., or Philly. And he apparently asked for a trade even before last season. 
Now, we found out from Jason and Dr. Hawk that that Larry Fleischer story of him not being, it's not about the money, was complete bullshit. It's always about the money, especially in that era when you have cheaper owners and a league that is struggling. You know, the Baltimore Bullets weren't some big attraction that sold out every single night at the Civic Center. So what do you think of that whole, like, acting like it's not about the money and saying it's about the city of Baltimore? One, how do you feel about that? And how would you feel as a fan of the Bullets hearing him say, like, the city's not big enough for me? I mean, as a Bullets fan, you're going to be offended because any fan of any anyone or anything, that's that's something that, like, you're going to take personal. There's no, there's no way around that. And, I mean, that's number one. Number two, the, the story never changes. I mean, you see it with Will Chamberlain, you know, a lot of these these guys with the early player empowerment moves uh, from Earl the Pearl and, and, and uh, like, Will Chamberlain, like I said. This is, this is definitely that. Right, and and it also suits their their flashy style, like Earl the Pearl is, is, the embodiment of a street ball street baller that made it to the league and is fundamentally sound. Um, everyone, everyone it reveres him. So that's a part of this whole thing. He, it's it's, it's almost Kyrie Allen Iverson esque. It's just that he's missing like the off the court flash, and following. Like Walt Frazier. Walt Frazier seems like he's the more iconic guy of the era. But Earl the Pearl seems to have the heart of the fans at that time. And it's uh, a major reason is because of his style of play. He's bringing, he's bringing the, the substance and the flash. And the Bullets are a major team in the 70s. It's, this is not like we're talking about a, a bottom-feeding team. So for him to say, I want out from a championship-caliber team, it's showing you, you know, this is very much like Kyrie, <laughs> like Kyrie leaving Cleveland. And right. it just so happens that he didn't leave for a rival like, like you know, if, if he went to Golden State or something like that, um, Kyrie did. Instead, it's, it's you know, Earl the Pearl, he does that. He goes to the Knicks, which is an East Coast team. Um, but obviously, you know, it's, it's a, it, the greatest trade in Knicks history. Right. If you if – you... Oh, I don't know, man. Now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if it's the greatest trade in Knicks history. The Busher trade might be better. Ooh, explain. Well, Dave DeBusher's trade was what gave them the first ring. It was the missing piece, trading Bellamy, putting Willis Reed back at the five. I think that's one of the more influential. Because this era really started with DeBusher. Um, after his trade is when you started to make the conference finals. You've made it to the conference finals every year since the trade. That this This is now the fourth year. We'll see if they make it again, but... 1969 conference finals 1970 championship 1971 conference finals so but let's just say this is right there i mean this is definitely top two we'll let the you guys tell us in you the still you, you think you think you're slick yeah tell us in the comments which one you think is more important dime dropper knows me very well and he knows it's for me contending for the award for that long whether it's an award or a championship whatever the case may be Putting yourself in contention, however way possible, for that long of a period is major. Right. You, you trade for the Busher, and now they are contending for a championship season in, season out. That is and major. Won, and won his first full season. So, like, I mean, there's not much to say there, but I would put this Earl Monroe trade over the Mellow trade. Let's see what you guys think of that. I know that might bother the Gen Z crowd, but there's no doubt that the Knicks were just at a different level at this time. And so here's where it gets a little interesting. On November 5th, 1971, Earl attended an amazing marquee matchup in the ABA 
between the Utah Stars and the Indiana Pacers in Indiana to see if maybe the ABA was for him. Now, Earl said there was a good chance he might sign with the Pacers, but the papers that I read, the newspapers, thought it was kind of a bluff because if he really is being 100% about the Baltimore isn't big enough of a city, well, Indiana in the ABA is not bigger at all. So it doesn't really line up, which, which makes me further believe that he's trying to see what kind of money he can get. And so eventually the trade happens, and it's not a team he had on his radar for obvious reasons because of the rivalry that he had with them. On November 11th, 1971, Earl Monroe is traded for Dave Stallworth, who if you guys watch Die Machine uh, film breakdowns, you see how big of an impact he had on some of those Knicks teams off the bench with his sharp shooting and size. Backup guard Mike Reardon, who also was big in that 1970 run. And, of course, an undisclosed amount of cash. Remember, back then, these owners are not as, you know, don't have the same money. The league is not as lucrative. So getting cash considerations was a big deal. Now, the questions. Earl Monroe being added to the Knicks, and they didn't even trade any of the stars? Will it work? Is he going to come off the bench? Is it too many cooks in the kitchen? Is it so dominant that nobody can compete against them? They have a seven-man rotation of Clyde Frazier, Dick Barnett, Bill Bradley, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reed, Jerry Lucas, and Earl Monroe. Six of those guys have been all-stars in their career, and five of them were all-stars within the last two years. It's unbelievable. And mind you, Mike Reardon already had a broken bone in his wrist, so it was a good move. But my God, what is your reaction there as a Knicks fan getting Earl Monroe? Is he going to come off the bench? Like, is it too much? Would you think it's too much talent? How do you think you'd feel if you got the enemy to your team, especially with a guy like Clyde Frazier, who's ascending into one of the best players in the NBA? He was one of the best players in the NBA in 1971. I'm trying to think like with um, they, they didn't lose to the Bullets the year before, right? The season prior. Yeah, the one that we just talked about. Yeah, 1971. They lost. Oh, right, 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 right. I'm sorry. So they they lost to the Bullets. Imagine if, damn, I don't want to say Jimmy Butler, but like, what if uh, his name is, is slipping my mind right now. The 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 four, the power four, the the big man for the Heat. Bam Adebayo. What if Bam Adebayo would have trade we trade like we traded Bam Adebayo for like R.J. Barrett or something like that, <laughs> like. It's similar. It's hard to really even I would say equate to it. To, I would say, to like, you know, with, for Boston, like, I would say that's more of an accurate comparison because there was one game, game seven of these current finals. Yeah, like Jalen Brown or somebody. But the thing is, I I really truly believe the cultural excitement to this, and we gotta give we gotta give a background to a a, a better background to this. Is Black Jesus? His nicknames are crazy. Black Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. What? What? He He's a Philly legend at this point. Winston-Salem he went right. to school at. So he's an HBCU legend at this point. And killed at Winston-Salem. He played at ba- in the Baker League versus the Rucker. And guess who played for the Rucker while they were in college? Take a wild guess, Don. That actor? Earl. Earl the Pearl. No, who the played for? No, oh, wow, that would have been crazy in the sixties. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, it was ah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar right. playing for the Rucker against Earl the Pro Monroe. He says that's the best street ball I've ever seen in my life. He said he never heard of him until that game, and he had his own like cheering section. 
at the game. And they were screaming like, Jesus, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> this is, yeah. So imagine you're playing, they're on the court doing this. So he's getting like, he has the exact background that I always, that we always talk about. He did not go to the USA team. The coaches did not want him on the USA team because they consider his style too flashy, too street, and too black. And now you're joining up with Clyde Frazier. You talk about being black, flashy, and just cool. That backcourt, it might be the coolest backcourt ever. This is easily the coolest backcourt ever. And on top of that, there's a real reverence for them. There's a real, there's a real basketball fan. Damn, I want to be like that. Everybody that talks about Earl Pearl Monroe says the same exact thing. His it wasn't that fast, it wasn't that athletic. His ball handling skills were just that up to par. And he is, we can't give credit to anybody else before him, I do not believe, in the NBA. He is the OG to the Kyrie Irvins of the world, Maddox of the world in the NBA. So to see this style come to the Knicks, it's us saying, hold on, but you can't bring that one-on-one thing over here. Right, and, and I was, I'm and, happy you said that because that's what the newspapers are saying. That's what, Immediately they, they say, okay, but Earl's a one-on-one isolation specialist. How is he going to adapt with the Knicks and with Frazier? Both of them are so used to having the ball in their hands. And other articles are saying, why are the Knicks getting another guard? They need to get a big because Willis's knees are cooked. Because Willis is starting this season, he doesn't look the same. His stats don't look the same. Uh, I didn't see any real footage of it except for there was one game. You can find it in my playlist, by the way, and you have to request that playlist. I can't just put it out there um, for the 70s. And there was one, like, eight-minute archival footage of opening night against the Pistons that you guys played, and Willis's shots are all short. He does not have mm. the legs, it seems. And, yeah, that one-on-one criticism was very real. But I saw some of the counter-arguments people were saying were that, well, Earl passed more in the conference finals last year, and that's what made the Bullets beat the Knicks. He was more unselfish. And can he bring that to the Knicks? And Dr. Hawk said it best. He had a conversation with Sonny Hill, Earl, and Earl said, I'm a winning player. I can do it. doesn't matter who I play with. I can do it. But the thing is, he's coming off the bench, and so is Jerry Lucas. And that is a little weird for two players who have been stars since they entered the league to come off the bench. Now, on November 11th, 1971, Earl debuts for the Knicks at MSG against the Warriors. Why is that significant? Cassie Russell's return to New York. And, oh, Cassie would have the last laugh in this one. Earl came off the bench, got a standing ovation by the Knicks faithful, but the Knicks would lose 112-103. to Willis Reed had zero points on 0-for-5 shooting in 23 minutes. That is not normal. That is not something that you ever expect, even on the worst day for Willis Reed in the past two, three seasons. Honestly, the past, like, his whole fucking career, to be honest. And then Earl comes in nine points on four for 10 shooting in just 20 minutes. Right now with those stat lines, the loss, it sounds like too many cooks in the kitchen. One thing I've noticed so far this season is the Knicks are not only losing at home a lot, but they're consistently getting less free throws than other teams. And mind you, the Knicks were known as more of a jump shooting team than other teams because they had five shooters, like one through five with Willis. And now with Jerry Lucas, that only helps them shoot more from the outside. And they're six and nine at this point of the season. Six and nine. This is the Knicks. And Red Holzman after the game said Monroe was rusty. And the papers are saying they need a five because of Willis's cooked knees and not another guard. 
to finish off on that game, Kazzy Russell, 20 points, six rebounds, five dimes. Nate Thurman, 27 points and 20 rebounds. Well, it's that's interesting you say that about Red Holtz because one thing I forgot to mention also is that there was a note I had from him um, when he scouted Earl of Pearl in college. He said he emphasized that Monroe hits the open man recalling that Monroe finally conquered Holtzman's Knicks by drawing the double team and finding his teammates. So there you go. They were, he was scouting him from college and he was saying that back then. And then he went back to it, like you said, in the previous playoffs. And I, and the first time I ever heard this, this the following term was when LeBron James joined the Miami Heat and they said, yo, it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. And I couldn't understand them saying that. I, I despised it. I, I I looked at it as pessimistic almost to like outwardly express that to the public. Keep that within yourself, right? So I don't know if they really said that back then. I haven't seen a quote where they said this is gonna this is gonna take a while. The only quotes that I read is that there was some division. There was actually one time when uh Phil Jackson and I think Bill Bradley are in the backseat of a limo, and Phil Jackson is declaring or he's expressing like, yo. I don't think it's going to work out. But Bill Bradley says, like, no, I totally believe in, in, in Earl of Pearl. So there is this polarizing, you know, these polarizing sides to Earl of Pearl, and just naturally so. There's no way around that. It's, right. it's, a, it's natural to believe any of that or to, to think that at that time. And reports are coming out at this time as well that the Bullets were refusing to pay Earl a portion of his salary from the last two years, so that only heated things up. Uh, I'm not sure. I think Earl already wanted out before that. But there's clearly a lot to the front office and Earl negotiations that we don't know yet. And maybe he gives more context in his autobiography. But Pearl, also I want to emphasize, he's still going through an injury. He's got bone spurs in his feet from an exhibition game with Baltimore in the preseason. And also, I don't want to leave this out, but the Bullets kind of ignored Earl's trade request and traded for Archie Clark who was an all-star point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers because they wanted to make their own best backcourt in the league. And Earl was like, you know, you making this move is not respecting my request. I'm trying to leave, and you guys are coming here trying to make me entice me to stay with Archie Clark. So they have a replacement for Earl in the sense that they have Archie Clark in Baltimore, but it's obviously not, you know, as good as Shake and Bake is, he is not the Pearl. But on November 14th, things change. When the Knicks announced that before the game that Willis Reed is going to be out indefinitely with left knee tendonitis. So now Jerry Lucas gets inserted into the starting lineup. Earl Monroe is now your quintessential sole position of the sixth man because Dick Barnett is obviously going to start. That's his team. You know, he's been there. He and Frazier are the amazing defensive backcourt. He's an off-ball player. So that is, you know, a little bit of a simplification now. Jerry Lucas gets to do his thing. And Jerry Lucas was not really hooping stat-wise when Willis was there, but the second Willis Reed got hurt and was out, Jerry Lucas starts putting up those Jerry Lucas numbers. Starting with November 14th when the Knicks snap a four-game losing streak with a commanding 127-105 W over Detroit, and Jerry Lucas goes for 23, 22, and 9 assists. Monroe only played 16 minutes and was 2 for 8. And Clyde by the way, thought that because they got Earl, maybe that meant that he was getting traded. And I saw an article where he was talking about getting traded for Elvin Hayes and how he was afraid of getting traded for Elvin Hayes because the Knicks don't have any backup bigs now that Willis Reed is out. So, I mean, thoughts on that? Uh, again, it just sounds natural. Um, 
that's why it's so great to hear Clyde Frazier as a New York Knicks, Knicks announcer now, because he always has these references of his career and he'll point to things like this, very upfront about it. I know MSG, they're very careful about what they say because of, you know, that's how it is over there with, with Dolan and everybody. But that those are the things that you that that you look out for with Clyde with Clyde Frazier when he's just honest about stuff like that. And, and he would talk about I don't re- remember him saying or mentioning the I don't recall anything with, with him well, I'm talking about Earl of Pearl during the during the uh games and every um or anything like that. But everything that, that these guys are talking about, it sounds like all we're missing is the Twitter comments. All we're missing is the social media, you know, the afterclap, all the echoing, the echo chambers, and the you know the first take style commentary that you despise. Um, but it, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it's shocking. It doesn't seem like you know. It seems like he's human. Like, hey, we have two point guards here. We're both ball dominant. That's that's the thing they have to get used to, and they both have to buy into the team game because it's it's ego. It's it's what makes you. It's what makes greatness. Is is the fact that you want to be the leader. There is some you know entitlement to being the man. It just or or, or that urge to be the man. So, I mean, this is this is them in their prime, right? This is not like Earl of Pearl Monroe at thirty four years old. Nah, twenty seven years old, twenty six years old, entering his prime. So. They've been a couple years in the league already, so they they both probably feel like I've been here for some time already. I know what the NBA is about, and I'm in the best physical shape of my life. Well, that's not the case for Earl, but for Clyde it is because Earl's has so many injuries. But New York York continues with the second straight win, 112-111 over the Suns at the Garden, a game they were down by 19 points, 15 in the fourth, and Clyde in typical Clyde Frazier fashion. Now he starts going on a tear. Now that Willis is out, I talked about Jerry Lucas stepping up. Dave DeBusher majorly steps up, but it's really Clyde that ascends into that conversation for, honestly, a top three player in basketball for me um, this season, the way he's playing right now. And when I say right now, the cutoff to this video is going to be January 5th, 1972, because we're going to save some stuff for the second half of the season, um, especially with the Lakers winning streak. But Clyde Frazier had 16 of his 39 points in the fourth. Earl Pearl Monroe 0 for 9 in just 13 minutes off the bench and is dealing with a sprained left ankle. And Red Holzman says after that game that Clyde is going nowhere. Then New York plays Earl's former team. It's at MSG, though. And they're on a four-game winning streak, by the way, since the Dave Stallworth trade. And Stallworth was in double figures every game. I thought that was really funny that Dave Stallworth immediately on the bullets made a bigger impact. But the Knicks broke their four-game winning streak. Pearl only played five minutes, so clearly he's not very in favor with the team right now in terms of the minutes he's getting and the injuries. The Knicks then make it four straight, 125 to 110 over Cincinnati on November 23rd. Pearl only played 22 minutes, four for eight for 12 points. So what do you think so far, just hearing these numbers for Pearl, very underwhelming, no 20-point games yet, no 30-minute games yet. It's a mixture of injuries and the situation. It must have been hard for him. Um, it has to be, right? Like, as a fan, you know, the expectations. New York City back then in the um the Garden of Eden, they describe it perfectly in the Garden of Eden. I, I still have yet to read the book, but I saw the documentary. Um, It was beautiful to see Willis Reed snuff out the Lakers like the way that he did. I always bring that up when, when we talk about that era. You know what I do, Dime. But 
the thing was the crowd in the garden was like like a real you know new york city crowd like new york city's known for being rough the gambling crowd that we're turning back into by the way like gambling is legalized now back then it wasn't legal right so you had like people throwing stuff on the court for jackson not knowing what's going on this is the kind of crowd you have in new york and you know the baltimore crowd isn't easy either but this is like imagine it's a bigger version of that you're, it's almost like you're seeing the notes you're you're uh you are foreshad- you are segueing into the next one perfectly. So the next game, November 24th, Earl returns to Baltimore. Now, I read the newspaper articles, man. I wish we had video of this. Benedict Monroe signs, throwing apples on the court. I mean, they were pissed, and rightfully so. I mean, getting asking to be traded and using the, you know, the fact that it's about money or the fact that it's about the city as a cover-up for the fact that they're not giving you money. And, you know, basically insulting the entire city of Baltimore, saying you don't want to play there. The Knicks made it five straight wins, though, with a 20-point win, 114-94. Earl had 12 points and four dimes on four for eight in his return. And Earl said after the game, it was rather disheartening, to say the least, to have played as hard as I did in this city and get a reception like that. Regardless of the situation, it leaves a doubt in my mind about the people here. He's still struggling with the ankle. Thoughts? you have a reaction to that? I mean, who does that remind you of immediately in the modern era? Well, that reminds you of LeBron in Cleveland, right? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Like, you know, the, just the, how distraught. Yo, when you when you look at the decision, when LeBron made the decision, and you see his face when he sees those, sees those, Bursey, those burn, uh, the jerseys burning, that's what this sounds like, especially with the way, you know, it may have been a misstep because, again, that's why they have media training, right? Because they're telling, they're warning you, listen, be careful what you say because we're going to overly dissect it. That's, what, that's just what we do. And... For Earl Pro to say like this is basically like I'm I'm bigger than this city. The city's too small for me, kid. Like basically, th- there's no other way to interpret that. Like I don't care what city you're you're in. If you say that about New York City, you're nuts. But well, yeah, he, know, he had no. He said good things about the. He said just like you said about the Knicks crowd. He said when he got traded that yeah, this crowd. You know they're loud. They appreciate good basketball. So he's look. He's getting what he's looking for in that sense. He's getting the money. The only thing is his role, right? That's the only question mark. And Knicks extend their winning streak, make it six straight with a 104-89 road win over Boston, who's leading the East right now. Early on in the season, Dave DeBusher cooking. Pearl just two for nine in 11 minutes, so again, struggling majorly. And then in November 27th, a battle of the winning streaks. The Chicago Bulls, who just uh, traded for Norm Van Leer, have a seven-game winning streak. The Knicks have a seven-game, a six-game winning streak, and the Knicks beat them, and it's the first Loss for the Bulls since they traded for Norm Van Leer. They were 7-0 um, since their trade. Earl only one for four and nine minutes. And get this. He only played in the second quarter and was booed as he exited the game. And the Knicks crowd cheered for rookie guard Dean Memminger as he came off the bench. <laughs> so what does that tell you about how the Knicks fans are feeling about the move right now? They're almost – it sounds like even though they have on a seven-game winning streak, they're like, this was a waste. We don't even need this guy. And he's not playing like his old self. It, it, it's the same bipolar New York City crowd. We're like a a tripolar, quadruple polar crowd. Like we're just crazy, bro. Like seven game winning streak. Um, you know, get your get your ish together, Earl. Like, that's just who we are. Like, right. You know, um, very impatient, especially since he started the season off with, with, with Baltimore those first those first couple of games. You know, he was he was still doing his thing. So when he came to the Garden, it was like, you know, where is Black Jesus? Where is the rise of Black Jesus? Where is the you know right. the, the Lord's prayer needs a needs a prayer right now? So, 
New York is, you know, we're, we're very impatient even back then. Right. We were, <laughs> we were impatient. It's a, it's a crazy, like, listen, man, we're a crazy crowd. We're a crazy, if you win here, you win anywhere around the world. New York streak was snapped at seven at MSG by the Sonics, who are off to a very good start to the season, 110-109. And get this, Knicks blew a 26-point lead in the third. Spencer Haywood, 14 points in the fourth quarter, and the go-ahead shot with 42 seconds left. Lenny Wilkins with 20 in the second half, and Earl Monroe misses his first of three games with the ankle and foot injuries. So, by the, by the way, he already has knee tendonitis. Now he's dealing with a sprained ankle and the bone spurs. I mean, this guy is really banged up. So he's out. The Knicks lose another game. This time Chicago gets a little payback, 112-96 on December 3rd. Rookie center Clifford Ray for the Bulls had 12 points, 21 boards, and seven dimes. And then on December 7th, Earl returned after a three-game absence, but the Knicks lost again, 105-97 to Boston at MSG. Earl was four for 12 in just 15 minutes for eight points. Knicks had 25 turnovers, and he changed his number from 33 to 15. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see in the background we have the 15 jersey up. I don't know what the significance of that was or what the reasoning for the number change was. Um, that's something I definitely have to look into or maybe read his autobiography for that. But December 12th, the Knicks beat the Cavs in Cleveland, 103-92. to Clyde Frazier had a triple-double, 30 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 assists. Mind you, that term triple-double was not invented yet. I've never seen it. It's not said by anybody. It's not a thing. Monroe only plays the first half, 6 minutes, 0 for 3, struggling with the injury. Two days later, the Suns got their first ever win at MSG. And Monroe plays just 20 minutes and goes 2 for 9. Four days later, the Knicks beat the Cavs by 20, and Pearl only plays in garbage time. This is as of December 18th, man. Like, how do you think this is going? This sounds horrendous for the guy. Nah, it's it's it's, it's looking bad. Um, if if you're a real fan, especially you know with with the crowd being um, that would be like the fan duel crowd. If you ever hear anyone talk about basketball now, or you know any sport, and they refer to it some kind of way, and it's like, yo, I don't remember you ever talking about basketball in my life, right? They're usually on FanDuel or DraftKings. And they just are. And that's what it feels like. It feels like, you know, people are being impatient. No, there's no fantasy basketball out there. But, there, you know, I guess it's before the, the player parlays and everything. If you're a, not even a casual basketball mind, you're just a fan, you realize something has to be wrong. This is, this is beyond trying to fit in, especially if you were watching the Bullets or got to, got to, watch, got to see the Bullets because there was no NBA league pass. So all you had to rely on was the reporters and everything like that, the reporters writing, and I'm not sure because the bullets again they they were built around Monroe. The Knicks are not built around them, and then on top of that, if he is injured, it's like something's going on. Especially if you're Red Holtzman, I would love to see what Red Holtzman was saying. Yeah, and so the next game, by the way, December twenty first, Earl Monroe plays according to the Jersey Journal. His finest minutes as a Nick. And he only played in the fourth, but he had eight points in nine minutes on three for five shooting in a blowout win over the Warriors. Still has the bone spurs. Back-to-back games. The next day they play against the Sonics and they win 120-104. to 104. Pearl only played seven minutes and was 0 for three. Wow, they played a back-to-back-to-back. It's crazy what these players were doing back in the day. They played three days in a row. 
on That's December crazy. 23rd. Yeah. On December 23rd, they beat the Blazers 120 to 117. Pearl had nine points and five assists in 12 minutes on four for five shooting. So that sounds a little better. That's five straight wins now for the Knicks. So now they're building a second winning streak. And they extend that streak to six on Christmas by beating the Warriors by 25 points, 114 to 89. Monroe had five points, three dimes on two for six shooting in just 12 minutes. And then three days later, we have the return of Dave Bing, who was out with a major eye injury. Uh, and the Knicks won 119 to 100. Monroe had 11 points on four for seven shooting. So we're starting to see a little bit more efficiency. And New York won their seventh straight game. So they've had a six-game winning streak and a seven-game winning streak after that early poor start where they were six and nine. So ever since Willis has gone, and obviously I'm a huge Willis Reed guy, but it feels like they didn't feel like they had to get him going because he still is going to get that respect from his teammates. Jerry Lucas now gets to go off. And the fact that he's been a forward his whole career and has stepped into the center and is doing really well um, is huge for the Knicks. And it's also like you can run five out like back then with that lineup with Monroe, Barnett, Bradley, or I'm sorry, Frazier, Barnett, Bradley, DeBusher, and Lucas. All of them can shoot. And with Lucas and DeBusher, even though they're not seven-footers, they can both rebound really well. So I think that's part of why they're getting away with playing Lucas at the five. But the winning streak was snapped at seven, 110 to 102 at MSG. And guess who it was against? The Bullets. Yep. Monroe had his first 20-point game against his former team. Um, 21 points on 8-for-20 shooting in 26 minutes, and he says he's getting close to feeling like his former self after the game, but they did lose. And now we're at the last two games that I studied before we're at this point. And guess who the big matchup is? January 3rd, 1972. Close. The other one. Bucks. Yep. At MSG. And guess who still has got Milwaukee's number, even without Willis Reed? The Knicks. 101 to 99, the newspaper articles, and it's not surprising me because I think so too. This could be the finals. Again, for the second straight year, we're saying this could be the finals. But the Lakers, they're on a tear right now. 32 wins in a row at this point. But the Knicks and the Bucks, we know it's going to be the Bucks and the Lakers, and it's going to be whoever wins with that between those two is going to come out of the West. The Knicks, to me, are still the favorites to come out of the East, but the Celtics have the better record right now, and they are hungry. You know, Havlicek's been there, done that. Cowens is now a second-year player. JoJo White is third-year player. But in this Bucks game at MSG, Knicks win 101-99. The Bucks are 2-4 and four in their last six games, by the way, with, after that loss, which is, you know, they started the season 30-4. and four. They're 2-4 and four in their last six games. And guess who hit the game winner with, uh, with three seconds left? Earl the Pro? Nope. The guy that's known for the big moment. Oh. Willis Reed? Clyde Frazier. Willis Reed's out. Clyde oh, Frazier. Right. Missed the fourth quarter. Winning game winner with three seconds left. 13 straight points to end the game for Clyde. Kareem scored the last eight for the Bucks, but he missed the final shot. And by the way, just a fun fact. Basketball references weights for a lot of these older players are their rookie weights. So, like, Kareem's listed at 225. That's what his rookie weight was. But now he even said in the newspaper he's 237. And if you see Kareem throughout the course of his career, he definitely gained weight. But right now he's 237. So it's really important to know that basketball reference, they're not all 100% with the weights. So when people are like, people say this, so-and-so couldn't last back in the day. Look how skinny these guys were. They, that's A lot of them, it's their rookie weights. But Frazier, oh, by the way, in that game against the Bucks, 
Earl Monroe, 18 points on seven for 14 shooting. It looks like someone's starting to come around. And Clyde Frazier has now scored 21 plus points in 17 consecutive games for the Knicks. So he is on an absolute tear. He's one of the best players in the world right now, right up there with Kareem. Well, no, Kareem's the best, but he's right up there with Jerry West to me. And then I guess Wilt Chamberlain and Oscar. But the last game, the next day, it's a back-to-back against the same team. And Milwaukee gets their revenge on New York in Milwaukee, 121 to 100. No surprise there. So if you're the Knicks, you'll take a split there. But now where we're at in the season, that's where we are. Earl's starting to get in rhythm a little bit more, starting to get in rhythm, but still it's a work in progress. But the Knicks are starting to play better basketball without Willis Reed. Your thoughts, final thoughts. Um, I think this is just so – we talked we touched on like the LeBron going to Miami thing and how it this impact it's it's a similar mental you know inter just mental hurdle their interaction with the fans and 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 the players and the expectations and the, the disappointment and it's just fun and interesting to see how the more things change the more they stay the same uh the Royals Roy's backcourt I do have to ask you Hasn't been cold. I haven't heard that term yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, but that's what they're going to be dubbed. The Rolls yeah. Royce backcourt. Um, if you had to choose who was better, who was better and why? Oh, I'm always going with Clyde because of his defense. Okay. Yeah. That's the, I mean, they're both incredible offensively. I like Clyde. Earl's passing is fancier. I think Clyde. Looks to move the ball more. He's more efficient. Earl's more of a mm-hmm. gunner. Like, I actually think Kyrie Irving is a funny comparison. Like, Jason said it best that, you know, it's an interesting comparison for Earl in terms of on the court because he's this era's, you know, dribbling master. And Earl's that era's dribbling master. And he's a score first one on one ISO point guard. So I'd say Earl plays bigger. You know, he has like, ah, well, Kyrie has good post game for a guard too, but Earl goes to it more because I think you had to back then. You couldn't do as much facing up with the ball. So, but I think it's really interesting how with the injuries, you know, he's missed only, he's missed four games this season. But, I mean, with the injuries that he's having, like in today's NBA, he's getting load managed. He's going to miss two months. Like, let him rehab. He's clearly not 100%. But at that point, it's like what Jason always says. It's if you can play, if you can walk or run, you're playing. Like, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. So, without Willis Reed, the Knicks have really bounced back. Shout out Jerry Lucas. Shout out Dave DeBusher and Clyde Frazier, who's put it on his back. The Knicks, even without – Earl the plural taking off and whatnot are 25 and 15 right now. And it looks like Earl's starting to come into his own. How long he's going to be on the bench, I don't know. That's something to watch. But I still got the Knicks coming out of the East this year. Even if I didn't know what was going to happen, I would consider that the case with their experience and their roster. But, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the video. Any last words, Fabian? Yeah, listen, man. Shout out Maya Monroe. Oh, that's, that's Earl the Pearl's daughter. Um, A lot of love. That's family. She's, you know... She she talked a lot about Earl the Pearl, um, especially about his 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 perfectionist ways. And I hope she doesn't think I'm saying too much here, but that's just he's uh he he loves tennis. He loves tennis. And he he would rather he's a he would rather go about things meticulously and go about them and, and perfect them before actually, you know, calling himself a tennis player or a basketball player. So he's he's a kind of He's the kind of guy, a lot like Kobe, it sounds like. It reminds me of Kobe a lot. Um, 
And I want to point out, like, you know, with the with the Kyrie Irving comparison, it's strictly like with with, with style, obviously, because I mean, you have fifty win teams in Baltimore that he was leading, so he leads and they they end up being below by uh five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there were some missteps in him leaving, but just he, I think he means the world to uh to us and to me because of how basketball looks now and how this style was denied and he was like a pioneer for it and he brought like and he's not talked about like because of for whatever reason it's not talked player, about bro. i think it's because yeah. he played in the 70s that's, yeah that's, but i don't think clive frazier's talked about enough <laughs> straight up right there's not enough that's true i mean Kareem, I mean, maybe in Kareem, your, as a new yorker it's hard for me to say that because he's on your tv throughout the season but like for a west coast guy like me like nah like we, we hear about jerry and oscar and then we hear about you know magic chris paul jason kidd nash all the point guards of today's game of, of my right. era and, and know, but, gary but, payton well i hear more about gary payton than i do about clive frazier again yeah right because he, he's more recent he's, you see more footage right and you know for any kid that's just watching this go back and, and watch earl the pearl like when you start saying like Oh, people don't have a handle back then. It's like, and and when we always bring up, hey, they enforce certain rules that prevented you from even exploring that on a professional level. Earl of Pearl's the guy that played toyed with that line and brought it to the game. And he, you know, he brought the like, you know, I want to say real basketball to, to the game. Spin move, man. He's spin, his move, spin and, move is the coldest I've seen and, at that time. And dribbling around the back, he, he he's just yeah. like you said, his, his, his passes were fancier. So we gotta celebrate this guy. And again. Let's bring real, real good nicknames back. What happened to the real good nicknames? Do we have no, any more? Not? He might no, be the man. goat of all nicknames. Like, remember, he was the black, black Jesus before Michael Jordan. Right, the original. He gave Michael Jordan that name, but that was really uh, that's Earl, Earl Pro Monroe. So Philly legend, just everything about him is is uh is legendary, man. And just the way he's respected by any player that was watching basketball back then, all of them, all the New Yorkers. Look how yeah, I know you know Stephen A. Smith. He's a guy we don't want to mention. He's very whatever, but he he's very vocal about it because he went to an HB, HBCU as well. Greg Anthony, uh, Kenny Smith, they'll all speak about him like that. Like he is, you know, there's Walt Frazier, but man, Earl of Pearl, Black Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. Are you are you kidding me? That's right. So guys, if you want to see any of the footage from us with Earl of the Pearl, Earl of Pearl Monroe in it, please check out my first episode of Dime Machine Film Breakdown, the 1969 All Star Game. That was in Baltimore, and he started that game, and I included some stuff with Earl's game so you can see what I described. He did some really cool things, so check that out. You'll probably see that video in the top right corner. Let us know what you thought of this edition of Dime Machine Flashbacks where we talk about events on the dime line. Let us know if you think it's the biggest trade in Knicks history, if you go with the DeBusher trade, or maybe you like the Mello trade. Let us know what you thought. Peace, and we'll see you next time when we talk about Shirley the Lakers 33 game winning streak. Have a good one. Fabio, you want to plug anything before we dip? Four sportsmen every Sunday, 8 p.m. All ball TV, Fabian Perspective, Dime Dropper, Flea, uh, in this corner, Boxing 24, bunch of stuff coming out. Also, shout out to Heavy in the Paint, a podcast with Rick Mahorn and Gerald Brown. Excellent podcast coming up next. That's by you know 19 Media Group. But shout out to them as well. Plenty right. of great things on the way. Sunday, every Sunday, the four sportsmen, every Thursday until the NBA season starts, history, videos, this being one of them. Hope you enjoyed. Have a great one.